0: Today is November 13th. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki, My name is Red Thunder Woman. My English married name is Michelle Robinson and I use she and her pronouns. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed US Canadian border are the Blackfeet and north of the border are the Siksika, Gunai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed September 22nd, 1877, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stoney Nakota of the Wesley-Chinnakee Bears Pond Nations, and the Dene from the Soutina. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status, non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of this land. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. I honor the Blackfoot as the elders and members have been so kind to me in my Red Road journey. Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name. I was born here in Calgary or in Blackfoot, Mokinstis, says Michelle Elliot, an English name which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says Yellowknives Dene. My father is so Canadian. I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act-imposed status card. I acknowledge my Dene lineage and I was born in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I am a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Tinne Indahay, in Satu Dene, meaning many horse town, named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgments are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous, as well as honoring the host as a guest and acknowledging your role as a treaty partner. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I share what I know as I walk down my red road. If you're experiencing emotional distress after hearing anything we talk about today and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It is toll free, open 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. If you're a texter, you can go online to hopeforwellness.ca. And for non-Indigenous, there are distress centre lines in your area and a lot of them have texting now available as well. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian where you can pledge and support. Thank you to my previous donors for already showing your support to my show. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. For those that cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or questions. I now have a YouTube channel and would love to have you subscribe and you can go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcast pin posts on social media. Uh, I want to give a shout out to my super loyal donors, Adam, Agent Indian, Alexandria, Beatrice, Ben, Beth, Brian, Kat, Celine, Christina, Crystal, Diana, Jacqueline, Jana, Jenny, Jessica, Jocelyn, Judy, Karen, Kathy, Kenna, Leah, Lisey, Marissa, Melissa, Morami, Natalie, Nathan, Rebecca, Rochelle, The Sprawl, Shara, Sharon, Tammy, Tiffany, Thalia, Vanessa, and Veronica. So with that, I want to welcome my guest that I'm so honored to have on my show,
1: Izzy. Hi, yes, um, my name is Izzy. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I come from a multi-generational settler background. And I've been, as listening to you and indigenous people and racialized people, I'm trying to uh, understand what that means a little bit more in a broader context. Um, I I wanna say I'm coming not as a part of an affiliated group. I'm not coming as a part of a member of any specific organization. I just happen to be transgender and I want to speak a little bit to both T-Door, which is going to be when this airs on November 20th, and I want to talk about my own experiences with what most people refer to as the surgery or uh, gender reassignment surgery, uh, also called gender confirmation surgery, like it has many names. I always call it bottom surgery because that's where... Happens in your lower half. Um, and uh, you talk about a lot of really important and really deep topics on your show. I do, because of some of the issues and controversies around community and stuff like that, specifically LGBTQ2IA community, is I'm going to talk about specific things and it's going to like. Death is gonna come up is one. Name's gonna come up. I um but also things like genitals specifically. So I have this shirt. My 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 black Trans Trans Life Matter sweater is in the wash right now, but I have this. And it's it says if you can't read it, handcrafted artisanal pussy. Um and you know, the reason that I bring that up is that even though it's a very serious topic and we're talking about intense stuff, I'm a silly person by nature and often the times where people listen to me is more when I make a joke out of things rather than be hardcore and serious all the time. So I'm going to try to find the right balance of giving these conversations the appropriate amount of seriousness and severity, but also be honest about my experiences and sometimes they're funny and sometimes they are really no and
0: I think every native knows exactly what that is because like I mean we make fun of everything that's ridiculous I mean it's serious and it's hurtful and it's awful but man all if we didn't have humor how else would we get through this
1: (laughs) honestly so and it's funny you say that too because like um my grandma passed right and uh and especially with your show, I've been thinking about, you know, not just, you know, complicitness or whatever, but like also what I inherit. And, uh, I don't take very well, but I do dish out. Like my grandma, she was a cheeky little card player and like, she loved, she, you know, she was a little brat, (laughs) you know? And I think, um, all the, the sense of humor and the love of music that I get, that's all from my mom, which comes from her mom in a way, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, so absolutely. Um, so the first thing I would like to talk about, I also have ADHD, so please, you know, if you need to steer me on track or if I talk too long, get me. So um, what is, what the hell is T-Door? What is that? So one of the things, that I try to do is when given the space, how would I explain this to somebody if I wasn't trans? And so for Tidor, uh, the example that I come up with is, well, Remembrance Day, you're honoring, honoring veterans, right? You're honoring people who have died, but they are combatants, they're soldiers, right? Regardless if they're fighting other combatants or they're fighting civilians, they are combatants. T door, um, similar to but not the same as missing missing and murdered Indigenous women, that's civilians. These are non-combatants, right? Underneath the systems that my ancestors created, these people are not supposed to be in a war zone or not supposed to be in combat. So it is murder. It is a hundred percent murder for these people are being murdered because they are trans. And it tends to be, you know, it, uh, part of the reasons why I'm safer is because I live in a home in a higher income neighborhood a little bit and because of my skin color and because English was my first language, right? So um, I like your point about not, you can't speak to every indigenous experience. I definitely can't speak to every trans experience because I'm not indigenous, I'm not racialized, I, you know, don't face extreme poverty, but all of those things make it more likely for these people to be hurt or in danger or whatever. And it is because it kills me when I see maps of, that there, especially in the states, how many laws or on the books where oh i didn't know you were trans or oh does that make me gay can still be used as a legal defense in court for our murders right and just because i'm less likely to be one of those victims like you know it's a little bar to clear it's like I was like, well, you should be really grateful. You didn't get kicked out. Uh, you didn't get this or you didn't get that. And I'm like, yeah, and I am really grateful I didn't get kicked out by my parents. But wow, that doesn't, it doesn't feel like, yeah. It's yeah. not like winning the lottery, right?
0: Yeah, no, it's like, here's a really low bar,
1: you know, and, right? and you're, yeah. you're right
0: there. And it's like,
1: really? Yeah. And, it's, and I wouldn't have even crossed that bar without, not necessarily my hard work, but, you know, like the hard work of my parents or just some systemic advantages that, you know, I did not create, but were created for me. Um, you talk about your name. You talk about Red Thunder Woman a lot. And I've, I've been thinking about that more and more as I watch your stuff because this system is designed for me like it was designed by my ancestors like i have literal settler heritage back multiple generations and yet you know i don't have kids i'm not married and the loopholes to change my name to get my name one of the special privileges that i have and again thinking about my grandma is like oh unless something really fucked up happens, I'm gonna be buried under my legal name. Like, whether it's a tombstone or a jar or an urn, even if I have no next of kin, I will be buried under my, my legal name that I've changed it to. And I'm like, it's weird to me for that to be a privilege, and yet it still is, even among white trans people. Um, and nothing to me sums that up more than I was in university a few years ago and uh, meeting other people and queers on campus and finally getting the strength to, to talk to some of those people really helped me finally uh, come out. But the first time I did T-Door, um, the actual ceremony Back then, it might have, I don't know, this is a controversial practice, but we get the list of names and we would take turns reading the names, like you would get up to the podium and read the names. And people are considering banning the practice or or not doing that particular piece because it's so re-traumatizing for so many people. But, you know, you read so many names and you can tell right away that this person wasn't buried in their name or they didn't have their names or in their obituaries, they'll say that they died, but they'll use their high school picture when they were murdered at 40, right? Because the family doesn't want people to know or all of those sorts of things, right? And it just, the ones that really broke me when I was reading, you know, Unnamed 16, Right that just that was so devastating because even in death they couldn't get that final dignity right of getting their name right, and I again that intersects with with people with names of different languages and and indigenous communities and stuff like that, yet but even even in the most privileged spaces, that stuff can still be denied to that person so it's, it's weird to me to, like, y- you mentioned the thing about how you were on, like, an environmental terrorist watch list because you were part of land defender protests, like, I, I have to rewatch to get the specific details, and I, my first thought was, if you, you decide to change your name, legally, through the colonial system, Things like that might come up because you'll probably be fingerprinted and stuff like that, and the idea that you protecting your people and your home becoming a barrier from changing into your to your spirit name that's that's absurd to me. Um, like if if people with some of the advantages that I have still like it's prohibitively either there can be expenses or it can be you know just so much legalese to go through often you're doing it without legal representation you know like the terms and conditions of an app or something you're going through all of that stuff to change your name and there's still so many barriers right there's still so much ingrained and that um that piece is something I I really am trying to consider more. Um, and I'm gonna table that there and like again cut me off if you have things to say. But the
0: opposite, I, I actually am, I'm really glad to hear you say these things because Oh cool, yeah. You know, You know, when we founded Voices in 2016 That's right. after the trc or after the trc after the um, uh, to black lives matter march was was stopped and we, we founded voices we had some of the worst pushback from the lgbt community because yep they just didn't see they didn't see the problems and you are so like the best part about having you on this show is articulating as you go through this process of transitioning, knowing as you do it, if you were native, you'd have this many barriers. And when you were talking about the Trans Day of Remembrance, and you know people are talking about banning it because it's so traumatic. I mean,
1: then you just not, that particular practice, though. I want to make that clear. But yeah, continue. yes, yeah. Uh,
0: the idea of of saying their names. What I have always found interesting. So first and foremost, as a straight cis person. Um, I'm like, what the heck is trans day of remembrance? And when I want to say it was around Occupy, so maybe 2010
1: ish. Oh my God. Yeah.
0: That was when I was like introduced to this concept. I'm like, there are enough people that die in this world for being trans that we have a day of remembrance. And I, I found your parallels to missing and murdered indigenous people, the same right there where we have our remembrance day is October 4th every year we, we do it and it's mainly for those who are femme and um, you know we're, we're starting to bring more and more men in as we start um, understanding what two spirit really means because of the homophobia and transphobia within our own community mm-hmm. and and that is a huge barrier and I mean lots of new immigrants come from colonized countries and they were brought in because they're Christian so they have this homophobia and transphobia within their communities so racialized LGBTQ2 plus in in this city and all across Canada are so vulnerable because of these um, you know phobias that were taught through this Christian lens, and now we're here, and and now we have all these folks that are are dying globally because of transphobia. So and we need to have a whole day of remembrance just just because just of it. for that.
1: And the thing, the thing. Uh that you touched on, the the one thing that always gets me is I've seen the argument that gay rights is, as there's people who have used that as like, well, that's a colonial thing. And I'm like, but there's been preachers from the United States in the 50s who came in as missionaries to do the homophobia, right? So I don't think, you know, going in and, and telling them to do gay rights is the answer, but we need to look at that process, and the thing for me is and it can be and i 'm sure it 's because of my privileges i well and also that i' have adhd and i 'm still mm, trying to manage the system the symptoms to be more reliable i 've never i don 't know really how to be a resep- like a representative for like a whole group that 's as diverse as as trans especially because I'm like I'm a binary trans person but that the issues of colonialism and and Christianity and all those sorts of things they do tie together and to me this was a this and I'm glad you brought this up because no better example for me right now is some of the conversations about Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris is on the one hand being rightly so, called out for, for helping engineer some of the transphobic policies uh, that, you know, put trans people more at risk, because they were sent to, you know, trans women being sent to male prisons, right? Um, but, in the same breath, it took only a couple of days me to start seeing stories pop up in my feed of Kamala Harris secretly being a man.
0: Really? I haven't oh, yeah. seen that yet. Hola.
1: Oh yeah. And I'm like, <sighs> there's there is, there are so many layers to a person who who is being you know, how people are trying to hold her accountable for transphobia. Well, that is also happening. And I get the whole, you know, Hillary too probably got the uh well she's she's a man, but uh the memes I see they're all Michelle Obama, all Michelle Obama, and it's it it's this weird thing where uh, this really ties in this conversation of. Like I'm the joke, like I'm the punchline. I'm like the inhuman thing that these women are being compared to. It's like, oh, she's secretly a man. That makes her like less of a person. Transness is being used to dehumanize them. However, because I'm white and when it's, you know, better weather, I tend to wear, you know, flowy clothes and I tend to be a smaller stature a little bit. My whiteness almost makes me less likely to be accused of the crime of being a trans woman and that's i don't know how to process that to be honest like i don't know it's like well i'll give you a bit of a lens women yeah yeah
0: i i I can give you a lens from my perspective though yes okay so like you know in the 1900s they had the darwin scientists and they believed the darker your skin the more of a monkey you were right? So dark, dark black people were easily yep. slaves because they're monkeys. And then you come come up to my people and they're not white. So they're lesser than, right? So that's that white supremacy coming through the Darwin theory.
1: Oh, it absolutely is. And I want to be careful because again, I'm not black and I don't want to, but it's that thought has really made me. And again, it is exactly what you're talking about has made me recontextualize the Kimberly Crosshaw how she experiences sexism in a racist way and racism in a sexist way, because a black trans women, I think get the brunt of that. Uh, And I don't want to speak for them or, or all trans women, but that's, I have to acknowledge that privilege there. And so uh, like another good example to me is representation. I am overrepresented like in media and stuff like these are, you know, it's settler, Canadian, white typically. I'm overrepresented in that. And yet I still as a cis person, if somebody came up to you and talked about well, trans women are in the washrooms and blah blah blah, blah and they're all secretly bad or whatever um, a lot of those people are working from this framework is, well you don't just wake up and say that you're a girl, right? Like, that's not just how it happens. <laughs> and the, the settler core of that ideology, the philosophy that kind of informs that, um, at least that piece of it, is that if I just say that I'm trans and therefore I'm trans, you can't falsify it. You can't prove it wrong. And so it's like, well, you could just say anything. But on the other hand, what level of evidence would they ever accept i've gotten my nuts chopped off and my dick turned inside out <laughs> and yet some of those people will still make those arguments to me and i'm not saying you have to have surgery or you have to have hormones or you have to even change your name but i have done all of those things and i'm just a binary trans person and there's still people who are gonna be like well that's not enough so the the funny thing is, is that they're telling you that there's no way to falsify my being trans. But there's no way, they will not accept any evidence. Their position has no falsifiability. And the thing is, I grew up too with, you know, I love cartoons and stuff. It's like, oh, haha, gender swap for a day. It doesn't work like that, it's not a Freaky Friday situation. When I was on hormone replacement therapy, which is, you don't have to be trans to have that. You could just have a medical issue that requires hormones or whatever. But on that stuff, I went through it. Oh, this is just going through puberty. (laughs) It's not, it doesn't happen overnight. There's nothing that changes overnight. It takes years and years, just like doing puberty the first time. And you know what? If I knew I could have done puberty this way, I wouldn't have probably done it the first way. If there was a safe way for me to get puberty blockers personally, I would have done it like that. Um
0: I think uh dysphoria is something uh, us cis people can never comprehend. And I when I talk about cis gender um privilege, like that's it right there. Like I dream being a woman. <laughs> you know, I yes there There's, there's no, I I would never um, imagine what it's like being a man ever.
1: But that's, that's the thing. So um, one of the conversations that actually helped me start HRT uh, and I overshare and part of me being able to overshare and have the privilege to do that in some ways can actually be really helpful to unpack some of that stuff because, uh. I sat down with a doctor and I had such a clear idea of like, well, I didn't hate my genitalia. I didn't want to like remove it with pliers. I did like, and there's some people who have been dysphoria mm-hmm. that intense. Yep. Yeah. But I remember one of my formative memories was, ah, oh, kind of bummed that I can't detach my penis. <laughs> that was a thought I had preschool like before kindergarten before catholic school and it's just like well that doesn't mean anything but then the dreams of me being a woman like you said literally dream of being a woman and i did i literally in a most literal sense when i first started going through puberty i was dreaming i was like oh what it would be like to be a girl and it would always be super lucid first person like really realized and detailed and like, wow. And the thing is, is that I repressed those dreams so hard that it's hard for me to dream in that way. And yet some of those things, the thing that I like to say, the thing, one of the things I was also thinking about saying specifically for your show was this, was I wanted to be a paleontologist and uh, a chef in the first grade. Everyone, like all the adults in my life joked about dinosaur bone soup. I wanted to be, you know, YouTuber, basketball player, rock star, all of these things, you know, big aspirations. The most improbable future, the most, the one that seemed most impossible is the one I've had, where in the middle of a pandemic, I received my surgery date Got to Montreal, all of that sort of stuff. And I've come back with um this pussy. So I don't, I don't like even a cis person getting vaginal plasty can be different. We talk about the surgery. You hear the surgery. You can get vaginal plasty or vulvanoplasty You do not necessarily need the vaginal cavity. So what we think of as the surgery is two surgeries <laughs> like for for trans women, and that doesn't get into like those trans mask people or or people born more likely to develop boobs than I was um getting top surgery or those sorts of things right yeah so um it's You know, you see how high school works in the movies, and I'm like, high school was not anything like it works in the movies. That's kind of what, like, transition was. Um, but also, the other thing is, um, about, use, I appreciate people trying to acknowledge cis privilege, and I attrici- I, I really do. And I, feel hypocritical for saying this because I can be bad on this on the places where I'm privileged and stuff like that the thing is I know people are cis I know they don't get it I and you know what I I am the person who really if somebody really does have genuine questions and I have the time and the space I don't know everything I am not a doctor I don't I want to try and guide people to the right information but like I've had people who say they're pro-trends, and they've asked me intimate details, and they've, I've only after I've okayed it, and I've given them perspective on both the bodies of maybe their partners or themselves that they may have not looked at before. So many stories about peeing and the gender things about like guys versus girls peeing I preferred peeing, sitting down, even with the genitals I had, with a penis. But part of the reason why I became, you know, the, oh, dribble on the seat, or, oh, look at my dick, and all of these sorts of things, was because of the homophobia, and because of the closet, and because of, you don't want to be the girl. The same people who say, at least in in male culture, the same people who say, the surgery doesn't make you a girl. HRT doesn't make you a girl. All of those sorts of things are the same people who will say, well, don't eat at A&W because their burgers have more estrogen or hormones in them and you'll eat them and grow tits and ah, the end of the world. So it's the hyper-masculinity that, that says, oh, you dating a trans woman makes you gay is the same thing as uh, don't be weak, don't be effeminate. It doesn't, like it... Sh- That doesn't seem like it makes sense, but it does come from the same space.
0: Oh, it does. Um, And that's why misogyny is what is killing Indigenous women, because it's racism and misogyny. But like, And I tell people, white women are not safe in this fucking province or this country, frankly, because when I grew up, I grew up in a predominantly white place, and lots of kids were getting the crap kicked out of them by their hyper-masculine white dad, and then their wives were getting the crap beaten out of them. And I remember when um, the owner of the bowling alley was killed and, you know, we, uh, the RCMP brought in this white trailer and it sat in their parking lot for a year, but that wasn't really properly dealt with. And it, so it was such a clear message to me as a young girl that, oh, you live in a place where the RCMP doesn't care if your partner kills you. And that had nothing to do with a racial lens. That was just a, you're a small town little girl and you do not matter in that bigger picture of this country and that was clear but i grew up in domestic violence like so my first memories of life are watching you know domestic violence so like that was like in in put into my brain at a young age that as a as a child you are lesser than if a, as a woman you are lesser than so now add trans to it add homophobia to it of course mm. it all comes from that same toxic workspace where you know Like it, it, and I like it. I grew up in in the small town where they had a hockey town, like it was a huge hockey town, and so, like, there was this constant, um, you know, hyper masculine um, conversation on a regular basis. And you know, women were expected to act a certain way, and all sorts of things. And I I had a a younger friend who was a lesbian who wanted to play hockey, and that was a huge problem. (laughs) It was a problem, not a oh great let's let them play it it was weird and awkward and like people were still getting my so my husband was getting police escorts out of the arena as a referee as like a 16 year old referee 14 year old referee because of the hyper masculine you know drunk parents that thought it was perfectly acceptable to beat the crap out of a 14 year old ref. like that was my upbringing
1: <laughs> and I- and I, the, so the two things like, so one, back to voices is that that stuff can come within from the house like LGBTQ community is not um, immune from those sorts of things. And it's something that we need to learn. But the other side of that is, I think my parents try to have it both ways where like they wanted it to be better, but they didn't want it to be sheltered. And in some ways, I felt more sheltered. And in some ways, you know, I didn't have the same amount of stuff that they went through, but I also didn't have the resources to navigate some of my own thing. And uh, you talk about the hyper-masculinity and stuff. I went right back to uh, religion class, Catholic <laughs> high school, and uh, girl, there was a girl on the football team. And even in caked in that, that culture a little bit, I'm like god if she can play she can play and like even other like dudes on the football team it's like they're like oh yeah and if if anything goes wrong they blame her when it was clearly not her fault and it's like even the, the the football bros get this come on teachers what are you doing the coaches didn't get this but the kids did the um the there was something else I was going to say on that too. But yeah, it's... Oh. Um, some people might find this hard to follow. It, It's... You know, we talk about so many things, but personal responsibility. So I have always felt our... And it's, specific, you know, the small town culture or the hockey culture of personal responsibility to... Th- I get the appeal of, like, it is mathematically absurd to assume that Jason Kenney should have personal responsibility for everybody who doesn't follow mask protocols. Like, it's, he can't just be like, you have to wear a mask and you have to wear a mask. That's weird. But the thing is, and I, as I, you know, try to learn more stuff, the thing is, I'm thinking about more is, Personal responsibility for what? Are you the premier of Alberta? Am I the premier of Alberta? Yeah, as individuals, I think we might have personal responsibility to do our best to follow the COVID protocols. But Kenny, if he says, oh, it's personal responsibility... In a way, he gets to skirt responsibility for making any government policy or, you know, having a hardline stance. I, and it's a conversation I have even with people I love. It's like, well, you're just not personal responsible. You just no 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 no. And I'm like, there's addiction in my family. You know, like maybe not my immediate family, but in my extended family. And you know what? Hammering on about, well, you're bad. You did this. That didn't make them less of an alcoholic. That didn't get them help. That didn't get them support. Like that's what got them support was the ICU. At some point, we need to acknowledge that our system focusing on personal accountability allows people who have the levers of power to then not be held accountable for decisions they've made in office with more tools and resources than The average person typically has you know it's so hard to calculate the damage and death of things like austerity right um so then these people can make policies where you know folks on disability have less access to money but oh we don't count them as death we don't think of that as like a manslaughter case as we would as as an individual. There are, there's a particular transphobe who has a book who um, talks about, well, you should, you know, fight for your individual rights. You should take risks as a person, even if it may be impact your safety or somebody else's, you should take chances as an individual. As soon as you do that as a group, like trans people fighting for rights, we're all doing individual personal risk. We are doing stuff that may have negative health. Well, may have risks to our health because other people treat us like shit, right? But because it's a group, suddenly it's not as cool anymore. Um, um, there, was, uh, there was another really good example of that that I was going to touch on. Well, but... you know
0: what? I, I would like to give an example of that. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So if the Canadian government can institute Indian residential schools, my friend Spirit, our friend Spirit said mm-hmm. uh, very clearly to Justin Trudeau, then you can institute, um, you know, healing, healing centers, you can institute that. So from my point of view, exactly. like it is the possibility of AHS, Alberta Health Services, to be providing culturally culturally relevant intergenerational trauma healing That allows us, you know, smudge and all the cultural perspectives that we should have, but they don't. That's the bottom line.
1: And because, and because you bringing it up as a collective, and I don't want to appropriate, and I don't want to, you know, conflate them all as the exact same thing, but they have roots in the similar things, is that it's the, if you have the stiff upper lip, You know, the no pain, no gain. Mm -hmm. You can be an inspo porn story, right? And it's like how you overcame all the trials. But like, whether it's immigrant communities who have been pressured by their parents because they came from poor backgrounds or indigenous communities or the black communities across, you know, the world, but, you know, Canada and the U.S. All, I've seen it across the board that this, the... The ability to rest, to not overperform, to not, you know, that is so. Well, you're slacker, or you're 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 not doing enough, or whatever. And it's like even people I dislike within the system who are as like settler capitalist got like no. If you give them some days off and let them observe holidays or have spiritual practices they will be healthier and do better work when they're you know as paid laborers and that's still very like capitalist perspective on it but like
0: yeah it's so easy though like the six days that we have off for christmas to um new year's eve if you gave the indigenous people that around sundance so that they could travel to the sundance do their four days sundance travel home like and instead of Christmas and 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 that like my husband he's always said you know if you decide you have whatever 12 days or you know two uh 14 days of of holiday per year and you get to decide how you choose to use it really that simple you know um and that could be done for the Muslim community when they do their fast and they need you know a day off or two so that they can rest properly you know, it's so easy to institute that as a res, a, a religious or spiritual um, holiday, but we just, we choose not to do that. We, we still uh, put it around the Christian perspective of, uh, you know, that religion.
1: Well, and the, the, the thing about Christianity kills me, because honestly, if Jesus saw what his using, like, if he saw that his religion was being used for colonialism as he spoke out against Roman colonization... I think he would be pretty pissed but that's just my personal take. The the other thing so you, like, and they
0: think right now though that we are experiencing this pandemic and global warming because days of the end of days is coming. Like they literally are encouraging dark, yeah. the days end of days because they see it as part of their religious like coming of of whatever, whatever their bloody bullshit is. And that's the worst part because like we're we're kind of at the point of no return with this climate change now. Um.
1: Yeah. Yep. I. Um, the religion part is is an interesting thing because that's it goes back to the for me the falsifiability thing. It's you know, I was told you know faith is important and all of those sorts of things. One second, I just gotta. But the idea that I could believe that I'm trans. I mean, that as a faith argument wouldn't be supported, right? Um, So, you know, who's in power decides what questions we get to ask, even in communities of philosophy or faith or whatever. Um, But, uh,
0: you know, in in the indigenous community, and and I say this strongly in my own family because of uh, Sacred Heart residential school up in fort providence my family st- strongly believes you never divorce your husband doesn't matter if he hurt his hurt your kids didn't matter if he beat you you never 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 divorce your husband ever and um to this day my family is so catholic my my mom and my granny specifically are so catholic that even despite all the domestic violence and that they believe they're going to hell for me not being catholic you know in the and that's what that Indian residential school did. You know, it beat that, it beat it into them, the spiritual abuse. So, and I bring it up because, um, you know, that, that self-hate of being native is bad. That self-hate of being trans, gay, lesbian, that's taught, you know, and that's why the two-spirit issue is so important, but there is not the numbers in this inquiry. I have the inquiry right in front of me by chance. I just happen to have it. You do not have two-spirit numbers in there. Yeah. Two-spirit numbers. We do not have accurate numbers because of our own transphobia within our own community and because of the settler colonial lens of Christianity.
1: I had a friend who, talking about Catholic heritage and stuff, you know, this friend, you know, he fed me when I was hungry and he clothed me when I was naked. And, you know, he's, he, uh, well, don't change different, or don't use a different name. And then I did, and then I stopped hanging out with him. But the last conversation I had with him in person was, we think it's you pushing God away. And I'm like, you know what? if god is as understanding or creator or creators if there are and you know sp- spiritual questions right i i am agnostic mostly but um you know what if he's so perfectly understanding he would understand i need a relationship with myself too to not feel suicidal yeah not, and you know i don't One of the reasons I made this shirt, even though it's supposed to be a funny joke, right, is I've been in Pride. I've marched in the Pride parades. And, you know, even though there's floats of people who, you know, they sell money or weapons or whatever to people who do homophobic things in other countries. And, you know, global capitalism, you know, it's hard to get away from complicitness in any of it, but. I've marched in pride what am I proud about like pride in what and you know and I come back to that what and I'm like I'm so often debating whether I exist or whatever whether it's online or offline or negotiating how to be safe in a community that is built for me I live in pretty bougie suburbs Kind of, you know, and in that system that is built for me, navigating that, I'm debating these things. I'm proud of this surgery. I'm proud of doing it. There is a lot of spiritual closure in a way. Kind of circling back to something we touched on. You don't understand as a cis person the trend stuff, right? Still French, still colonialist, but you know déjà vu, right? You know the term. In a broad sense, or in a, in a, like a psych psychological sense, it is. It can be overcompensate any feeling that is feeling at home in the unfamiliar, the familiar feeling more from the unfamiliar feeling more familiar to you. Uh, that's what I call gender euphoria. That's what gender euphoria is like to me. I remember being a little kid and I would listen to certain songs. And as a kid I would say, I, my brain would feel chemically different by listening to like a girly pop song. And the same people who would say you're reading emotions into the past is like no, gender euphoria was that feeling because that feels very similar to what I feel when I get gender euphoria now. It's like this intense combination of the aha moment, the you know feeling so overjoyous, but also this huge amount of relief. It's those emotions. It is this familiar familiarity and this closure in stuff that is foreign to you. But we only hear about deja vu. Gender dysphoria, what often people think about what being trans is, is being born in the wrong body, which is not what it is. Gender dysphoria is like jamais vu, or I'm probably not saying it right, but jamais vu or jamais vu, and that is when the familiar the only things you ever known are unfamiliar. Like dissociation or depersonalization or dysmorphia for people with eating disorders or stuff like that. Um, It's the thing that you look in in the mirror every day or your home that you've lived in every day doesn't have that feeling of home. That's what gender dysphoria is like, that I had, it's, you know, the mask you put up and saying, I'm comfortable in my home and I'm I'm uncomfortable in the scenario because you feel like you can't actually do what you're comfortable with. I know guys who were like super hard ass and super like, I have to be a man, blah, 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 but their mom let them play with dolls as kids. It was, it was the policing All those gender roles and stuff, where, you know, it's forcing women to do makeup and, and look in certain ways and whatever, and it's forcing men to not, you know, have to be manly in sportsmanship or whatever, rather than just letting, you know, I grew up with kids where girls you know, played rugby and could still do full faces and makeup, right? I, you know, I grew up with even hyper-masculine dudes, you know, they would do drag or whatever and thought that was interesting and stuff like that. And it just seemed more free. It just seemed so much more liberating. just seemed like less shit to worry about. And often when I'm dysphoric or transphobic against myself or, or other people, it really comes back to being, well, you were a guy and you're not supposed to date guys. That's, even when I came out to family, it was so hard for me to admit that I was either bi or pansexual because I would admit to to attraction to dudes <laughs> um, longer back than... Like it would have maybe changed how they thought of how I was in the past because it did not just happen because of HRT. Um, So I really didn't know how to, even with coming out, I didn't know how to explain that I was attracted to dudes without having to also unpack homophobia conversations rather than just um, transphobia conversations. And it's, One of the other things I was saying was in all the places I was supposed to not find God, like whatever feeling of community or spiritual goodness or the Holy Spirit or whatever I felt in church, I have felt that even more laying next to my gender fluid or non-binary partners uh, not being judged for my body or doing some of the things that I've been told were sins that I I felt so relieved in the same piece that people had told me that was, you know, the love of God. And it's, I used to think in the story of the wizard of the the story of wizard of Oz, that I was the scarecrow, that I was the idiot, you know, that I didn't know anything. And part of that was being the youngest and stuff like that. I'm the cowardly lion. Because underneath all, hold on, underneath all of my anxiety and, and the stress or my unassuredness is because I know who I am and I have known, but I'd never known how to articulate it. So I didn't think anyone would accept it. And that's just me, not everybody knows But it was, I had the knowledge, but could not recall or could not explain or could not articulate. And I learned to be scared. I learned to be afraid. Even in my parents' house, like they were, they didn't know everything about trans stuff. And they didn't know everything about gay stuff. But even in that house, like... I think part of the reason why it did take some work for my parents to accept my trans stuff, just because they didn't have information. If they had information that I did, they worked so hard to be there for me when they didn't understand, even as a little kid. And that made me so confident until that was weaponized against me and somebody first called me a mama's boy, that the healthy relationship I had with my mother Somehow a bad thing has impacted my relationship with this person I love to this day. It doesn't seem like that big a deal, but it's it was really it's taken a lot of work to reestablish that closeness that I've had that I cherish with my own mom. And I'm still lucky enough to be living in her house and her and my dad's house. And that's the bare minimum, right? That's going back to the wow, I'm so lucky that my parents did try and even if they don't understand that they've done at least enough of the work that I wouldn't be here without them. Like, I've straight up, they came to Montreal with me. How lucky am I is that? And, you know, like...
0: But uh, you know what? I'm going to say this as a mom. I can't like... (sighs) I as much as I grew up in that way. When I had my daughter, my life changed. I mean, my vagina changed a lot too.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. And it took about two months to be able to heal that again. Um yeah, I bet. Yeah, but I mean, when you I when I had my daughter, I um my life changed. And I mean, the way I looked at everything in our society changed dramatically. And I, to this day, cannot imagine rejecting my daughter because she's decided she's gone she's a boy um Now we could have a long conversation about how boys are more acceptable than girls, but that's not the point. The point is, I can't imagine rejecting my daughter because like when you <laughs> when you love your child so unconditionally, it is impossible to understand you know this this decision that, Oh, you're no longer my child. And I, I witnessed it and I see it through the LGBTQ2 plus community. And I, uh, the homeless issue, obviously a a huge Huge. um, part of that because of it. And, um, yeah, I, I I lose so much respect for those parents who reject their children. I I cannot comprehend what kind of, like I had the worst global or uh, social programming how do you reject your fucking kid i i can't wrap my brain around loving a so-called god so much that you reject your fucking kid what the fuck is wrong with you
1: i had a friend who said it even best because she grew up in a very militant atheist household sure. and still ran into that stuff You was so obsessed with survival of the fittest but it's, we've changed that to a survival of the strongest not survival of the one who adapts or the group or the species that adapts well to the situation they're in that's what survival of the fittest means being able to adapt to the circumstances and the thing is is the very people who tend to hold on to a lot of power and i can be guilty of that too but they're so focused on being the strongest like even lions get End up worm food, right? Like it's there's, there's a reason it's called the circle of life, right? Um, but about the kids thing, I don't know. I still, I think, I was so kind of like expected to be the the grandchild provider, that and I was like, well, I'm gonna be a dude. I'm gonna get married to a lady, and that's just I'm gonna do that. Have that,
0: the babies yeah baby-ish.
1: i honestly think that my belief adamantly that i'm not gonna have kids comes more from a place of i was not given the emotional tools to be a good mom well i might have been given the like i didn't want to be a dad i was expected to be a dad but that's not the parent i wanted to be and yes i can change that now but I've had to be it's this weird thing where people look at the outside is like well Izzy can't do anything for herself or she doesn't take care of herself or you baby her too much or whatever I've had to be my own parent when it comes to being trans like I've had to do that and um not saying my mom didn't help or whatever and my mom she loved me unconditionally but she still had a lot of stuff to work through because uh you know oh, I wish I was there for you, or I had this idea of you that's changed. And I, you know, on the one hand, it's like, well, it's not about you, it's about me. If I don't give her that space, whether that's fair or not, you know, and I'm not trying to slam my mom, but giving my mom that space helped her find transparency and, and stuff to get what they're going through as parents. She just needed support. She just needed information. She just, that was the thing. And the same people who say, well, I'm not going to pretend, or I'm not going to, it goes back to, what evidence would you accept for your kids being trans? What, you know, uh, circles back to that whole thing about, there's people who are going to say, well, just because you have a vagina now, well, I was born with a vagina. That's the point of the shirt just because it's new, just because it wasn't attached to a uterus. Well, it's just a cosmetic surgery. And I'm like, well, tell that to my fucking nerve endings. You know? (laughs) Like, tell that to the fact that I pee different. I pee different. It's, that's that's a huge change. Um, But yeah, it's, it's this, the devil you know is better, right? It's that cultural mentality of you stiff upper lip, you persevere, you have to succeed. And then if you don't succeed, it has to be because the natives are taking your jobs. The immigrants are taking your jobs. It cannot be that expecting you to handle it all on your own without the support network, repressing all your feelings. It can't be any of that. And I'm just like, even though I know I perpetuate it, I've always thought that was bullshit. And I just, one of the most interesting things, I've actually found this, hold on. So I actually have this. My great-grandfather bought land from the CP rail. So I'm pretty sure it wasn't seeded. And he had a farm and an orchard there. And this this comes from that orchard. And Pop's kid, my grandfather, Ted, he died before I ever came out to him. My grandma's been great. Um, He wouldn't get it and he wouldn't understand, but he would see me walking with Pop's orchard in my hand And he wouldn't give a shit. He would be so elated that I would have taken up this kind of unique part of my ancestry. That that would mean more to him than yeah, I'd have to correct pronouns like every other minute, but he would be ecstatic that I carry a piece of him and the family around. And so the thing for me is one of the most interesting parts of my ancestry is that there can be such a commitment and a stubborn commitment to how the way things are and not changing them and you know even when it backfires but also never really fitting in as much as they want or wanting something different or wanting something more and to me people will see you know my transition as a rejection of my heritage or the cultural values. I don't know if I'll be buried in in a Catholic graveyard. I don't know if they'll let me do that. I don't know if my body will be allowed to be buried with family members of mine. But in a way, when I actually have, when I actually realize I have the courage to challenge them on some things that to me is the part of the heritage I wanna keep on. Not necessarily the privileges, not necessarily some of the things I think they did were problematic. I think they were well-meaning, but it's the fact that, cause, uh, cause of the formative memories, I joke, either that transitioning was a fulfilling of my destiny or me taking my destiny in my own hands and deciding it for myself. Some people will say we're born this way. I say people will just try to find a gene and fix it. People will say it's a choice. People will just try to conversion therapy. I don't care. I am trans. I'm, my name's changed. I've gotten surgeries, I've gotten HRT. Facts don't care about your feelings. I'm here, this is who I am. And that piece, I think I've honored the parts of my family's legacy that I think are worth keeping by being trans, by defying some of those things. And I think if we were willing to give up some ways as we know and actually venture into something new it would be better for us and and for other people and i feel that the more i get to own being trans that i that i'm able to say that i'm trans and that's a good thing and that's a part of myself i don't want to hate anymore i tend to be able to do more things and challenge more behaviors or or be better in other ways slowly I, it's, it's healing. It's, the joke I've made is healing from the surgery feels like healing from years of other stuff. And, I, and I'll i say, I you know, I've had it late. Even among non-white, or even among white non-trans people, I think I've had a pretty good life. But I want other people to have that. They're, you know... There's a lot of baths, there's a lot of showers and recovering from this procedure. The first month you are doing the recovery routine four times a day, you know, it's gonna be harder in a place if you live in a a town or a reserve under boiled water advisories. So, you know, putting people to work to build systems that get more clean water to reserves, that's jobs, that gets more people access to some of the recovery routines if they also get surgery. I like...
0: Can we talk about the fact though that you had to leave Calgary to go to Montreal? Like that's kind of a big thing.
1: Oh my god during the pandemic too. Oh that was a pain in the ass. Oh my god. Like Montreal was great and I had a particularly good experience in there, but I am you know tiny and white so that might have been a part of it, but yeah. You know, COVID hit me so bad. I was leading a support group for trans folks and COVID was so bad. I didn't have like the emotional energy to to participate in the group on Zoom, never mind lead the group via Zoom. And it was like, "Oh my god, I, you know, I had such a mental health break at one point." And after I got through dealing with that, I got my surgery date, which I'd been waiting for for so long. And I'm like, during COVID, that's, there's no way. I've been tested, don't have COVID. I'm back, I'm safe at home. I had face shields, I had masks. I'm not the only one who had to go during COVID either. There's people I know my age, like they all went around, you know, around the same time.
0: So I'm trying to understand though, but like for yeah. Like why did you have to go to Montreal?
1: Oh. Yes. Okay. Sorry. I'm going to step ahead. So the place in Canada that does that surgery is in Montreal. So there's a the the the, the place is called G, uh, Montreal GRS and there is like maybe two surgeons um and it's an international enterprise, but if you get approved for funding for surgery or um, you basically, if you get the surgery in Canada, that is the only place you can do it, because that's the only place that does the surgery. Many people play, do top surgery. Um, there can be other procedures you can get done around. It is the only place. Um, some people with who have more money might engage in medical tourism and stuff like that, but it is the only place it is it's covered if you get approved and you have to do the you have to be out for a year and two psychologists have to sign off on the fact that you actually want it and oh my god there's like a thousand issues in that and then you wait and part of the reason why the wait list is so long is Montreal's is the only place you can go um there are there are some like I think there are some practical reasons but I have also brought up it's like why couldn't we have trained more surgeons to do this in more places so i didn't have to fly across the country to do it in the middle of a pandemic um and again you know there might be people who know better than i but you know i loved what he did and i was a positive customer i still think that's horseshit i absolutely resent the fact that there's it's not more accessible across the country or across multiple countries and like international travel right now during COVID I wouldn't recommend it but the wait lists are so long it's just oh I and it's they send you booklets of things you got to remember multiple booklets if I didn't have a non-ADHD person who was really good with reading documents and legalese and stuff like that um i would have been hooped because there are so it is a covered surgery and we still you still pay like four hundred dollars well i think for the dilators they're three hundred dollars themselves and then you have to buy all of this like that's the most i've my family i think has ever bought in pads because there were used to be so many boys in the house pads I uh, I dilate on these little like puppy pee pads things so like nothing gets on my sheets you gotta buy those saline or uh, di- what is it distilled water for saline solution like there's a lot of little expenses that eat that can eat up right um, it's a very it's a weirdly like any recovery is intensive but like you have to do it four times a day and you have to try to do it very specific times a day. It's, it's not built to be the most accessible thing in the world, the system in the world. Uh, our society focuses much more on treatment than accessibility and it's the thing that I keep hammering on is if you had more accessibility you would need less treatment. And that's true of the ADHD stuff. And I find just even even with the privileges actually accessing the information, proper information. I've been I've joined Facebook groups of women who've had this particular surgery or those particular surgeries, and they literally be like, Well, wait mine's doing this i don't know that it's like well and then another girl was like oh on page seven of your booklet it'll say that this is an issue here if you can it's like there's a facebook group for pussy surgery that we have to have to manage and it's so i'm so glad but it's like that's a lot of labor for you know kind of volunteer community and stuff like that and
0: yeah i i I can feel that when it comes to reproductive health because as you know we have zero sexual education in the system, so you can imagine how fucking awful and traumatizing stillbirth and miscarriage and all of these things are when you can't, um, you know, when you when you have a C-section and you can't breastfeed. Like this is fucking traumatic shit. And so I I did kind of understand where your parents were coming from. Where well, yes, it's about you, but they're mourning the loss of their son, and they're gaining the birth of a daughter, and you know so. I, I mean, if we need frickin' support networks for miscarriage, for breastfeeding, for all of these things, like there's, to to say that we don't have the infrastructure and networking for this is an, actually an understatement. If it wasn't for volunteer work, and and the, I here's the thing that pisses me off as a person, all of the work that you do for a support group, all of the work that you have to do to look on these forums, like I, when I was going to have my daughter, the mommy forums and learning about all of this, like that... That's a lot of hours of volunteerism that's never accounted for by anyone because it's not under the umbrella of some colonial nonprofit. And, 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 and that's the
1: for-profit labor.
0: Yeah, exactly. Right? It's not exactly. That. Yep. And, and so it, it's like our whole lives are devoted to unacknowledged volunteer work in so many different ways and capacities. And, and that is life. Like even for me right now, I mean, I'm trying to manage how to run a household, which is a mess my daughter's homeschooling, you know, my forums, my podcast, my um, like, there, there's a million things. And, and I, I, I don't know how to say no. I don't know how to start set all these boundaries all the time, even though I literally spent my twenties learning more positive boundaries after growing up in domestic violence and, and having really crappy boundaries on mental health, like all these things like there, It's like, Oh, la. And then we go to school to learn the wrong military history, the wrong history, um, white supremacy, and science through a white supremacist lens. Like, we learn all Mm -hmm. of this stuff, and it's like, what the hell are we doing as a society? What the hell?
1: So the one thing that's interesting is that, like, um, the thing was about mourning is that, I feel like I have to make space for people who, who, who. well, why have to mourn the person you were? And it's like, the thing is, is that if I was allowed to be the person I was, you would never have had to have mourned anything. And um, the other thing is, is I have had a pretty excellent and privileged life and I still people are like, well, don't look back, don't regret, or it's like, no, I get a chance to mourn some of that, because I know what that person, that kid was feeling at the time, right, Um, and I feel so guilty, because, like, with ADHD and, and stuff, like, my mom has has had a lot of stuff on her plate too and I've added so much extra things to her and I, she's been so good and so helpful and I I really like I really struggle with the oh I struggle with my own issues so I'm causing issues for other people right sort of mentality and it's like the same people who say you're not tough or you can't do it on your own or what is it? It's like the conservative mantra, not just them, but it's like the, well, don't be a snowflake or don't, you know, don't be a victim. And I'm like, what do you mean? Someone like, it's a pretty morbid thought in a way, but it's like, you know, you kill me or you hurt me. You're not going to change the fact that I got this surgery. Like I'm no victim. I've had it pretty, like, i I've you know with all of the stuff, it's like I still got you know HRT, I still got surgery, so people who could literally kick my ass and break me in three different ways could like even te- entertaining the idea of getting the knots chipped off and the dick turned inside out. yeah, they couldn't handle that. but um more to the stuff about the c-section and all that un, unpaid volunteer work and stuff like that uh i had a good thought but um i remember people were like well where are you gonna be in four months And i'm like yeah okay but like the actual recovery routine is dilating right and it is so in the first month, which just passed for me, you have to insert one thing into your vagina for five minutes after you get your space set up to do so. So that's pads, all of those sorts of things set up. Then take it out and then for another 25 minutes, put a different, bigger thing in your vagina for 25 minutes. What? Well, because the first one's just to warm you up for the second one it's you're basically putting not fun dildos or business dildos into your vagina for like half an hour and uh, so it doesn't you know it's like an earring you don't want it to close the piercing do you know what i mean cool. like if you ever had like a like a an ear pierced and then it grew back too much it's like that but your vagina <laughs> You just you just don't want the hole to close as it's healing up, right? You want to heal it up properly, so it's you know it's stretching your, and it's it's doing so in a doctor doctor approved recommended way, with stitches, so you're not you know over stretching it or anything like that. You do that four times a day, and after each one, uh, you either have to bathe or do a shower, and you have to uh, like. Um, do dildos or not dildos, uh, the douching after each one. so it's about the for the first month, it's like a full- time job like you know sounds at least awful. it's a lot, it's a lot um, I've gotten to the point where it's kind of boring. Uh, I like you know, you know, just throw on your podcast or throw on Netflix or something or play a game, but it's 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 you know. It's like, it's like, just, I got to do very specific surgery, specific Kegel exercises four times a day, but it's, it's a thing. Um,
0: when I gave birth, I did not have to do this after I gave birth.
1: That's the, that's the thing. Have I ever had to give birth? No. Would I know what that's like? Or having a womb? Like,
0: no, but it just seems unnecessary is what I'm trying to say. Is that like, that's,
1: but that's the thing. And the difference between it being necessary and unnecessary is that uh, my pussy is a month old, <laughs> and yours came in built in. Like it's, it's, it's. One of my favorite things. It's like it's like. Well, you know, genes and whatever. Like so, men and women are different. And I'm like, listen. I have learned through firsthand experience. That I still have all the titty genes that exist in my family. It's just I didn't turn them on when everybody else did, and uh, and I did so later in life. So, you know, both cis men and women, your husband could have the same genes to grow like actual breast tissue, not just like pecs, but the way the genes work is that he's less likely to do that because of the other parts of the hormones in his body. So the thing that blows my mind most about this surgery, the coolest and weirdest thing, I still don't know what it's like to have a uterus. I don't know what it's like to shed uterine lining and have that come out. That's still, but and it's and I go back to the P thing, but it's not just that. It's I had a friend who was like, I couldn't imagine what a dick is like. I was like, okay, here we are. We're doing a meditation exercise, right? If you've ever been, this might be TMI, but if you if you are a person with a vagina and you've ever been aroused and you can feel like any stiff in your clit or it feeling hard or Um, if you can feel that sensation in your body, basically just you're stimulated and you can feel how different your clitoris feels on the inside of your body. Take that and have it extend outside of your body. And it's, it's, it is weirdly, I was surprised. It's like, wow, this like, feels like if I was more aware of the part of my penis that was erect while it was inside my body and not just outside of my body. It's, which is weird to think about, but it's like, I've had enough of experience where I can be like, I can understand a little bit more of what a person born with a vagina or has a clitoris could feel like, again, not the same, And how I can compare that to how I felt before a little bit. So I have a potentially new way to relate how certain things feel or how things related before because of the new experience, Mm -hmm. right?
0: I can say as a cis woman, I have never thought about having a penis, never cared to know and
1: and that's fine. That's, that's what totally fine. Is.
0: That is what being cis is. I have no concept of it. Don't give a shit and don't care. And I and and that has a lot of privilege cuz I know there are a lot of women born with vaginas that wish they knew what it was like to have a penis.
1: So, but that's the thing is and you're absolutely right, but the thing is to some of those people, I depending on how I word it, I can actually provide an insight into what that's like. I could think of metaphors to give them some understanding that I can now, that I just had no context before. Let me tell you, nothing... Listen, I was like, I was kind of a loser, little, supposed to be a little straight boy. I was so paranoid. I grew up with so many jokes about like, oh, you can't find the clitoris. Oh, the clitoris is so hard to find. I'm like, I have poor eyes, I have ADHD, I thought I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to be such a bad partner. I'm not going to know. There is no reason for that joke to exist, period. There's no reason. It is not. And I'm talking about before I had the surgery.
0: No, but for real, how old are you? How old are you?
1: I was a teenager. I mean. No, but how old are you now? Oh, uh, I'm not quite 30 yet.
0: Yeah, no, like half of the stuff that in your teens and 20s are such like, and it actually, it's painful that we wasted our time even thinking about this stuff and making these stupid jokes. I mean, most people are starting their families in their 20s, um, even if it's by accident. And think of how many, how much better parents they could have been without all of this stupid baggage of bullshittery that I don't know if it was Hollywood who made up this shit. Oh yeah,
1: I think there's I think there's blame (laughs) to be passed around, but or or just it's not all one group. It's it's how the cultures exist together. This is the thing I wanted to say. Even as in the closet and like taking the big brew of misogyny and all that other stuff, like everybody else, it still seemed weird to me that the right to choose was centered around the fetus's life and then kind of dismissing about all of the, the things in the mother's life that led up to that moment. We're pro-life. We should be caring about the person who holds the baby too, right? You know, a lot, lot of people thought before
0: I had a baby that I would become more um, pro-life, but the irony was the opposite is that I actually became way more pro-choice because um, I was fucking livid livid that i had this baby and i didn't have autonomy in the delivery room i was livid about it uh so much so that um i worked with mandy Bular to get midwifery funded because
1: wow good for having our
0: way in the delivery room is fucking rape and i don't give a flying if you have a doctor's degree that says you're an OBGYN, you are a fucking rapist that's certified by everybody in this society to do whatever the fuck you want to me and my vagina. And that's fucking wrong. And I have
1: no fucks to give for this anymore. And the same, same culture that says, that's given you all of these things is the same culture that to even begin to ask whether I can get a vagina, it's that, you know, two doctors, it's not just one, you got to go through two. You have to be out for a year. And I think some of those things, what are the, I'm going to talk forever, but the, one of the most absurd experiences I've ever had and in, in, like I've only been out for like five years or well, I've been on hormones for four. So I've been like, been out for three, contemplating this stuff for five years. Hormones for four. Canadian Blood Services, because um, I I went with the family member. There's the whole thing about. Well, they've cut it down now to like, you can't have be a man have sex with another man. It's like six months. Or whatever before like you have to be celibate for six months before you donate blood and this is before i had surgery and i'm like okay most of the people i know are trans women (laughs) i'm a trans woman and a lot of us like women (laughs) if i sleep with another trans woman who also hasn't had surgery do we fall under that do you consider us men having sex with men
0: it's bullshit. It's just controlling you and I'll tell you why. I'm a hetero woman. I'm telling you men fuck everybody all the time, all the time. Like this is a this bullshit heterosexual men are fucking everybody all the time like if you're a trucker you're fucking everyone across the fucking country if you're a boilermaker you're fucking over here you're fucking over there you're fucking over here and you're what what gives you some fucking oh but you're married to a woman oh so all those hookers or sorry sex workers over here or all those sex workers over here or your second wife over here that somehow negates you was there some kind of shield, kind of like Jason Kenny? like all the kids can go to school and not get the COVID-19, oh. but you know, I can't go work out because I'd not get the COVID-19.
1: Remember the personal responsibility thing. He doesn't have to take any personal responsibility. He washes his hands, even though he controls the Albertan levers of power. So you get in trouble because you didn't follow the rules, but he didn't have to do anything. It's
0: just embedded misogyny in the the blood donation system, because the bottom line is, is that men are screwing everybody. But because my husband is married and and assumed to be in a monogamous relationship, like it's insane to me that married men are somehow assumed to be monogamous. It's insane to me
1: the guys who write that as as they are not being monogamous. But the thing this is the thing that got me at that particular thing. I asked the questions of of, of Canadian blood services while I was there. They scoured they looked for their their bosses because I, I filled out and I was just like, well I just want to make sure like I want to know. The only thing they could find about trans people at all and it was is if trans women had the surgery. That was the only thing they cared about. And so that was, it was this weird thing where all the things you were saying that were true. But it was one of the few spaces that as a trans woman, I could have been sleeping with men or other trans girls like me, which would have been two people with penises having sex. And yet we would not have been... um, persecuted the same way as a gay man was which was weird and the thing that kills me on that was um there was something else about that too was that they test you for the stuff anyway yeah like they're going to test you for 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 hiv for aids Syphilis. for for those all
0: sorts of shit
1: all all of those things so the more i and I had a friend of mine who's trans and was born with a uterus. And I think like their experience too was really, they highlighted a bunch of their issues, which were different, but that had some overlap. And it just made me think like, but if we're all answering the service, the surveys as honestly, and we can, and you're going to test it anyway. Why not? And there are there may be pieces to it. It's like, well, we run specific tests in these specific times. Well, just if they run anything that's at risk, just test it. And if they if you can't use it, then like, what if I had lied and said that I like had one of those diseases? They tested it. They would have not donated that blood to somebody. Like. So, to me, the stipulation about men sleeping with other men, there's no point to it. Because if you're going to run the tests anyway.
0: uh, uh, I got to wrap this up, my friend. We've been on almost two hours. So, I know. wrapping this up. Take
1: up. Take up the best parts. I just like.
0: Oh, no. I I don't. I can't. I can't do it. We just go with it. So, I'm just going to start wrapping this up. Because. uh, Yeah. It's just, uh, I know we, I could
1: talk forever. You're I love chatting with you. You're so awesome.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, the bottom line is, is that, uh, I, I wanted you to have an opportunity to talk about your journey and you're welcome back on my show anytime to talk about things that you want to talk about. And I think it was most important that we talked about Trans day of remembrance because that is coming up. And I think that, you know, I talk about missing and murdered Indigenous women and people need to see why it is this issue matters so much as part of our conversation because you can't be talking about missing and murdered Indigenous trends. um, You know, you can't without having this conversation. So it was really important. And um, if people send me questions, of course, I'll send them to you so that you can see them and decide what you want (laughs) to do with that. But maybe that's what I'll ask people to, you know, Put together, I'll, I'll put together all the questions and we'll have you back. And um, I'll give them, we'll
1: see. Yeah, and answer them more specifically and less rambly. That would that might help too. Yeah,
0: but I, I, I just yes. again, I, I just want you to know how how angry in solidarity with you I am that there's any discrimination when it comes to the blood band and the blood donation issue. And I think it just shows what a ridiculous society we continue to live in that we just can't accept these things. So,
1: but and all that with was- that, yes okay i want to say one last thing Here. i want to say one last thing the, the thing is i didn't want to completely center myself but the reason is i want to tell people about that we can have narratives for trans people that are not just us being victims of violence no there can be something else and i want to that I want other trans people to have some of the good experiences I have too. Like I it's got to be more than just not letting them be murdered. It's it's that and that I want them to thrive. And I want us all to thrive. And I want you guys to thrive as well. And that's that's the thing for me. I want to spread the good. I want the good to be spread around and I want it to be made more environmentally friendly and accessible to everyone. That I that has to happen too. That's all I will say. That'll be my final thoughts on that. Okay.
0: <laughs> well, thank you Izzy. And as I go through my ending, cause you've actually listened to my show. If you want to yes. pop in something, you hesit- don't hesitate to, to say something because, you know, I want to make sure that this ending is as inclusive as it should be. So. Yes. Okay. Yes, Indigenous have been talking about our issues, sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, and in public hearings just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words. Honor the treaties. Listen to politicians and their platforms and policies. If they don't recognize the marginalized in their budget with gender equity plus, if they're cutting violence prevention progra- pro- programs and services, Indigenous education, uterus health choices, Gay-straight alliances, lack for human rights for migrants, immigrants, folks with disabilities. Know that your vote to that party directly uh, negatively impacts marginalized people. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action. The recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples. the Multiple reports on child welfare reform, violence prevention. And now we have 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls and Two Spirits. Denying those reports is a form of abuse, called gaslighting. Our Mm -hmm. people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational, justice and health institutions with multiple reports that say the same things. Demand change from election platforms and politicians. If they do not understand colonialism, racism, privilege, sexism, they literally have zero business running. should be understood by all parties, all local politicians, community organizations, sports clubs. You know, a really great article I said out loud in uh, '62 was "Truth Before Truth: How Non-Indigenous Canadians Become Allies," and I'm pretty sure we're seeing Izzy give a great example of what that looks like.
1: Don't talk me. I could be I could be just as human and problematic as anybody else, but I appreciate that. Thank as you. I
0: can, as a straight cis, so I want to yes. continue to put cultural safety into action by creating a safer space. For all people, (laughs) let's look at it as first aid for marginalized. Do something. Having good intentions is not enough. Take action to make change. Speak out against racism. Ask questions with those with more understanding. Find allies. Create a support system for yourself so that you can advocate for culturally safe approaches. Take responsibility for your learning. Read, reflect, ask questions. Do not expect this learning to always come from racialized people. Take time for self-reflection. Be aware of your own assumptions and biases. Question everything you've learned about Indigenous people and take steps to actively disrupt those stereotypes. And commit to lifelong learning. Be prepared to be uncomfortable. Understanding colonial- colonialism and the legacy of racism is an ongoing and difficult task. And I want to say thank you to heretohelp.bc.ca for what is cultural or what is Indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it. As, as what I just said, internalized racism and lateral violence is another form of violence indigenous and marginalized people uh, experienced by the structure of racism imposed on these lands. Um, another great resource is racialequitytools.org. What is internalized racism by Donna Bevins? You know, we're constantly talking about that. I think Izzy spoke a lot about internalized issues when it came to transphobia and trans issues and i think mm-hmm. that we as indigenous people need to question the racism that we've internalized another great um, resources from the american friends service committee they have do's and don'ts for bystander intervention when it comes to uh, witnessing public instances of racism anti-black anti-muslim anti-trans or other Uh, forms of oppressive interpersonal violence and harassment with these tips on how to intervene. So make your presence known as a witness, make eye contact with the person being harassed, you talk to them, ask them if they want support, move closer to the person. If possible, you feel like you're safe to do so, create a barrier between the person being harassed. If it's safe to do so and the person consents, film or record the incident, because it's a lot easier to delete that later. Than it is to wish you had it. And I have found mm-hmm. time and time again, recording actually de escalates a situation because most people are embarrassed to be on film. And be that idiot. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Cues from the person being harassed. If they're already engaging, listen to them. You know, you can make suggestions. You want to move to another train car, you want for them to leave you alone, but follow their lead. Honor their way of resisting. Don't tone police, or and what that means, especially for white people, is don't tell them, "Oh, you need to be more quiet" or whatever. If somebody is telling me I'm a a squat, I am going to tell them to shut the fuck up as loud as I possibly can, and I don't care because I need people to look and I need people to go, "Oh shit, this woman is having problems from this guy. We need to intervene."
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: that's why you have to not tone police people. Anyway, follow up with the person being harassed after the incident is over. I know how embarrassing that can be. So I just ask that you give them your card in some way, shape or form, um, and do what you have to do to keep your both, both of you safe. Assess your surroundings. Maybe there are others you can pull in, which is why being loud sometimes works. Uh, working in a team is a good idea. So if you can uh, move to a safer place, do so. Do not call the police. For many communities experiencing harassment right now, the police can cause a greater danger for the person being harassed. Do not escalate the situation. The goal is to get the person being harassed to safety and to not incite further violence from the attacker. Don't do nothing. Silence is dangerous. It communicates approval, leaves the victim high and dry. If you ever find yourself too nervous or afraid to speak out, move closer to the person being harassed to communicate your support with your body. And teach your kids about accountability in a positive way because these kids are learning white supremacy through the educational system and through you and through society, through media, through newspapers, they are learning this. So you have to unlearn it. And I think Izzy gave great examples of how all of us as a society is learning transphobia and it needs to be undone in media. It needs to be countered by us as people, especially if you're a parent. So if you are experiencing emotional distress and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's toll free, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And if you're a texter, hopeforwellness.ca has an option for you. Violence is my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. That's why I started this podcast, to speak freely, without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinion, share want and tell us theirs. Like people who know nothing about Indigenous colonialism, the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, our rights, microaggressions, people dealing with internalized racism, people who are gatekeepers that survive off the status quo, And then there are people who are really in their trauma and stop people from being able to do good work and deplete personal resources. Internal and external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. That's why I needed this podcast as a boundary to be heard. Thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mama, what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt. My stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family and roots and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. It is through her I am a second-generation proud Calgarian. Thank you to my husband for producing and editing this show. On top of being my husband, my childhood friend, the father of our child and support down my journey of the red road, he has witnessed decades of racism and sexism. And to our child who we are blessed to learn from every day, we are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person and I hope my daughter and my family will be proud in the future of us trying to discuss these present-day issues in a way that they can understand. Again, my Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you Adam, Agent Indian, Alexandria, Beatrice, Ben, Beth, Brian, Kat, Celine, Christina, Crystal, Diana, Jacqueline, Jenny, Jana, Jenny, Jessica, Jocelyn, Judy, Karen, Kathy, Kenna, Leah, Lisi, Marisa, Melissa, Morami, Natalie, Nathan, Rebecca, Rochelle, The Sprawl, Shara, Sharon, Tammy, Tiffany, Thayla, Vanessa, and Veronica. Thank you all for signing up. If you did one donation or many and had to quit for financial reasons, please know I appreciate your support too. And if you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. For those that cannot afford to give but listen in, love to hear from you at natoyyc@gmail.com, at gmail.com where you can send in your comments and your questions and you can go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcast and pin posts on social media. And I want to end by giving side eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not dish. And my beautiful cousin would respond or you'd be in my dish. Thank you for listening.